Let me ask you something about those clothes you're wearing. You know, most of us are pretty picky when we go shopping. I mean, you got to be comfortable, right? If your clothes are too heavy or too bulky or too restrictive, man, it can bother you every single moment you've got them on. Well, there's something else you have that could be smothering you even more. Hi, I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and you're listening to Growing Bolder. Do you know what it is that can really cause you those problems? Your stuff. (laughs) Over a lifetime, Mark, we seem to collect an overwhelming amount of stuff. You may not even realize it, but it is holding you back. It's pushing you down and keeping you from being your best. Tis the time to downsize, Mr. (laughs) Schaefer. You bet I'm into it. All right. Now, even if the place you live uh, in, that can hold you back as well, especially if it's too big, it takes too much upkeep or too much maintenance. Today, we're going to talk about some adjustments that you can make that will have a positive impact empowering impact on your life. And if you've ever seen the Today Show on NBC and, you know, who really has it, you know there's a guy with a big smile and a great attitude who is there every morning to tell us all about the weather. Well, turns out there's a whole lot more to Mr. Al Roker than that, and you'll get the chance to find out in just a few minutes. Also, do you remember the song, Hang On Sloopy? Hang On Sloopy. Man, I do. But they sang it better than that. I ruined it. Uh, or rock and roll hoochie coo. <laughs> Not going to try that one. Uh, today, uh, you're going to meet the guitar legend Rick Derringer, whose message to everyone is that he's still alive and well. But first, how to have more by actually having less. You'll find out what it takes to right-size your life. We're talking about ordinary people that are living extraordinary lives because that is growing bold. Well, if you're like me, you just hate, hate to throw stuff away, right? But it's smothering and unhealthy to be weighed down by stuff that you don't need. Getting rid of it is harder than it seems. Sometimes you need an expert, and that's what we have for you now, a great guest with an interesting story to tell. She joined us recently on our live Facebook show, Growing Boulders, What's Next? And here's Mark to introduce her. C.G. Ware is a big-time talent. She worked for ABC Radio in Los Angeles for 17 years on TV. She's been an on-air host for PBS and three of the major networks. She's a print journalist whose work has appeared in many national publications. She's a sought-after speaker. She's the author of six and and maybe seven now. We'll find out historical novels. Uh, She's also written a couple of nonfiction books, including one that's called Right Size in Your Life that the Wall Street Journal called one of the best books ever on retirement. So let's get with it as C.G. Ware joins us now from her home in the San Francisco Bay Area. Great to see you. How are you? Are you doing well, I hope? Yeah, yeah we're, we're doing great. Thank you. Um, I, I was about to say surprisingly, but uh, not surprisingly. We've got a great team. We've got an incredible business mission. We are all passionate about moving forward. And, you know, I just feel so blessed, CG, as I know you do, to have, uh, you know, something that we love to do that keeps us engaged where we feel like we're making a difference. And, you know, I do want to talk about all the things you're involved in, but uh, I, I have a picture of you celebrating your birthday this year. Is it okay to share that picture? And, and can I ask you? Can I ask you? I haven't had a haircut during the whole COVID, as you can tell. I had shorter hair then. Uh, can I ask how old you turned? I turned 78 that morning, 
and I am in front of a wonderful uh, restaurant here in Sausalito called Poggio's, and I've been in a walking group, a dog walking group, for about 15 years, and when anybody in the group has a birthday, we go to Poggio's, a trattoria, and at 8 o'clock in the morning, and they give us champagne, and we have a birthday celebration. So this was mine last May 22nd. Well, no, I guess it was a year ago because it was COVID. We didn't do it this year. But anyway, um, yeah, and it's a wonderful um, – we bond with these women. and We call ourselves kind of the super agers because we're still walking three miles Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays. The dogs come and go, but the, the group of us <laughs> that eat um, – we we are we're still walking. Hey, hey, Mikey, let's go back to that picture again, can we? Because uh, you know this this is the new seventy eight. You know, I, I hated CG when somebody says you know the seventy is the new forty. This is the new seventy eight. I mean, uh, I, I know you're 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 an expert at presenting something on camera, but 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 tell me this photo is real. Tell me this photo reflects how you feel about your life in general, because it looks like you're you're having a great time. Well, we are. I mean, you know, I think that's what's kind of kept us going during this tough, tough year. That photo is a, is an iPhone photo. Somebody snapped one of my walking pals, um, you know, took it and uh, uh, and sent it to me. So I have it in my in my collection. But it was a joyous day. I mean, it's sort of a shocker to think, gosh, I'm two years away from 80. How can that possibly be? You know, but um the, the attitude that, that I've tried to hold on to and I think really saw me through a lot of the tough times is that this is all we've got and I'm fine today and I'm blessed today and I should be grateful today. And that's what I'm that's really my attitude. I'm grateful hey. today. I'm still breathing. I'm here, you know, and I'm feeling good. Amen. You know, that, that's, that is really what we're all about is trying to focus on uh, the possibility instead of uh, simply the loss. Uh, and as we've all learned, CG, as we get older, uh, an important skill to have is the ability to adapt and accommodate and continue to move on despite the many challenges. And, you know, as we said earlier, this has been a difficult year for, for all of us. But, you know, you've had the, the extra additional challenge of, of a major uh, health concern. Can you tell us a well, little bit about that? The year before COVID hit, thank okay. goodness. But, you know, you're still under the shadow for a while. Um, this was the weirdest thing. You will not believe the story. About, I guess, 18 months ago, two years ago, my son, uh, who's now in L.A., the, the family was, um, we always go up in the high Sierras in the mountains in the, uh, during the summertime. So I went up there and I ended up, you know, sleeping on the porch. And that, while I was doing that, in the middle of the night, I think some big spider came and bit me on the face. And my entire face swelled up. And then when it went down, there was just this one lump on my neck. So we just assumed for like three weeks that it was just the leftover spider bite. Well, that spider bite saved my life. Because when I finally went into the doctor saying, hey, what's this? This thing will not go away. It turned out it was one of the 32 kinds of lymphoma, which is a blood disease, as many of us horribly know about. <clears throat> but of course... Um, I really landed on my feet because of the 32 kinds of lymphoma, there are now, well, at that time there were six, and now there are eight declared curable, not just treatable. So I went plunging into treatment where I had, I, I, and because of the spider, they caught it really early. It was less than stage two large B-cell lymphoma. 
So I'm really lucky. I live near Stanford and in Marin. <clears throat> so I went down there where, by the way, they're one of the great lymphoma centers in the world. And they cooked up a cocktail and a, and a radiation um, routine. And I went back to Marin with all the prescriptions in the cocktail. And I was treated within five minutes of my home. Wow. And uh, this was the last day of radiation. And if you can believe it, you, uh, I had to be under that mask, pinned down at 100 pounds of pressure, while that big machine you see there was circling and circling and circling, zapping the lump that was on my neck. And, and you will appreciate this, avoiding my vocal cords, which could have been silenced by radiation. So it was, as they say, a challenge. And uh, I had to have a mouth guard, which I sort of gag about. Anyway, I learned deep breathing. I learned literally to live one second at a time. And this was the incredible team that took care of me. And they were just unbelievable. And so when this whole thing with COVID and the health workers, I cannot tell you how much I love these people. And we need to do everything we can to honor them and help them and pay them and realize what they do because it was an amazingly hard but worthwhile experience. Folks, we're talking with uh, C.G. Ware, who is a, uh, you know, I don't want to say former anything because I think C.G. anything is still possible. I got a new job. I got a new job. <laughs> there you go. You used to be uh, a network uh, radio and television reporter for just about everybody. People in the L.A. area, California, know her very, very well. Accomplished author, now a speaker. And, you know, I just wanted to talk to her because I think she really, you know, has a great attitude about life in general. And, and even though I got the chronology a little bit wrong about your lymphoma battle, I think this next photo I'm not going to get wrong uh, be, because you continue to stay active and to move. And one of the things you like to do is and you have continued to do that, and that has helped you get through the pandemic. Oh my, God. my leg should be higher. It should be way <laughs> higher. Anyway, I um, I grew up in Hollywood. My dad was a screenwriter and a radio writer and a magazine writer, and we grew up in a very unusual world. And um, I took dancing from the time I was four years old, and I actually danced professionally for about two years out of college. And um, and then, of course, you know, life goes on, and I took class for a while. Forty years later, you know, um, I started dancing in local shows here in in in, in my little maritime village uh, across the bridge in San Francisco. And so when COVID hit, I had a friend who said, oh, guess what? The San Francisco Ballet, which is the, our fabulous world-class ballet, the school is going to teach online. They, you know, they're trying to stay alive and they figure if they offer ballet classes, you know, you pay $10 a class, that will help sustain the ballet. So I put a bar in our little guest house there, which is an office and a guest house. And I started taking ballet. And I want you to know this morning after the show, I'm going to get off and go out there. And we do this um, two days a week. Uh, and it has been the savior, you know, that I got back into it and tried to get back in shape as a dancer. And it's just bar work, you know, and it looks simple. I'm telling you. It's not. It's hard. <laughs> and, um, it's been fantastic. And there were 70 people on the call every class. And they're in Paris at four in the morning. They're in Australia right. because everyone loves the San Francisco Ballet. And to be 
honor, you mean to have the honor of being taught, you know, by one of the teachers. Some of the classes are taught by the dancers. And it's just been opened up a world that I had kind of closed down for for a long time. So that was one of the things that sustained me during COVID. And I'm on class 54, I think, today. I've been <laughs> doing it for months. <laughs> Not getting that much better, but... <laughs> You know, it's a great point, CG, because, you know, the technology that we're using now that you use for your ballet class has been around for a while. But, you know, one of the, the few silver linings, if you will, of the pandemic is, is that we have all found ways to either use it differently or use it more frequently. And, you know, I, I think this is going to be something that is going to be a major addition to all of our lives as we continue to age, enabled uh, enable us to stay connected, not just to family and friends, but uh, people in our classes in Paris. I mean, that's exactly. pretty cool. Exactly. You know, I mean, it, 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 people talk about Zoom fatigue, which I'm sure you get sometimes, but it's been an extraordinary thing to be able to to connect when you can't connect. And uh, for me, it's been, we just had a, a, a local election here. And because somebody had heard that I used to be a TV person, asked me to moderate um, the the debates and the and the discussions between the candidates and we did it on Zoom. You know, wow. it was amazing. And I was the traffic cop like you. You know, I was just the moderator saying it's your turn, it's your turn. You know, um, but again, we didn't lose the fact that we were having a local election and we wanted to know who's who and what the candidates were. And in a funny way, it kind of brought the candidates closer to the people who were going to vote for them or not. All right, let's talk about your, your writing because I, I think it's really cool. You know, you have, you've continued to develop ones that enable you to still pursue your creative passions and make a living from your home there. And, and I should note, folks, that uh, CG has a degree in history from uh, Harvard University. Not only that, she's the first woman uh, graduate of Harvard College to be president of the Harvard Alumni Association worldwide. So, uh, uh, she now writes historical fiction, which, uh, you know, I'm guessing as a news person, uh, someone who understands investigative journalism, all of those skills translated into what you're doing now. Uh, you obviously derive a great deal of pleasure in writing historical novels. Tell us about your most recent one. Well, this was such an amazing thing. I, I, you know, I've written, actually, I've written, I think, 12 novels and two nonfiction. So I'm like on number 15, I think, or something. But anyway, a couple of years ago, uh, my husband and his and his father have uh, loved France and gone to France and been part of an educational foundation which raised money to bring American kids over to learn French and all of that. And so we were going to a place called Taloir in southern, uh, I mean, in the Alps in France. My French is mm, so-so, and Tony's is pretty good. So one time we just sort of stopped, and we realized that all these statues were to the resistance in France, the people who fought against the Nazis. And then a French friend of mine took me to a little tiny museum called, it was a, uh, called the Resistance, the, the, the museum about the local resistance. And now as I walked in there, I saw all these pictures of women, agents, secret agents, uh, British. And I started following that thread and I ended up discovering that there were about four or five American women who, for various reasons, ended up joining what was called the Special Operations Executives, which was a division of MI6, the famous James Bond. And they were training French speakers to parachute them into France to work with the French resistance to coordinate, to prepare. I discovered there was another D-Day 2 
that um, uh, landed in the south of France. Well, anyway, I began to try to find out who were these women? What were the women doing? And they were amazing. They took the same training like boot camp the men did. They had to learn to parachute. They had to learn to silent kill if they had to. So I ended up writing this, this book, which was called Landing by, wait a minute, I guess, Landing by Moonlight. And it really tells the fictional story of one of the women that I got interested in and her story. Uh, and now I'm doing the second one called Above the Clouds. And this was a second American woman who was a crack skeeter. And she ended up as a courier carrying hand grenades in her backpack up in the Alps in the very area that we have been going to all these years and walking by those statues and not paying any attention. And it turned out that the woman I'm writing about now was the one who blew up the train station uh, next to where we come in from Paris <laughs> every every year. And she was told to blow this um, station up right as the Allies were landing at D-Day so that the Germans couldn't bring in any more material, you know. And, and I had walked by this little plaque, you know. I mean, so it just shows you, you know, you never know where the next story is. So I'm uh, I'm calling this group called the uh, American Spy Sisters series. Based upon your description uh, of, of your book, CG, I, I have to imagine you sold the film rights. I mean, this has got Hollywood written all over it. Please. That would be great for my dotage, you know. I mean, in case they have to ship us somewhere to live, you know, um, it does. <laughs> I must say, it has uh, a movie written all over. I think it'd be a great Netflix short series, you know. Amen. And, uh, you know, and because it's the American women and most people don't even know they were involved in, uh, in you know, the secret agent business. And they were incredible because they got away if they spoke good French. You know, if any man walking around in France during World War II, why wasn't he in the army? You know, why wasn't he doing something else? So the men were very suspect, the agents, and they got caught a lot. And the women got away with much more and were very, very effective. And, uh, you know, there's all these things that that's what's so fun about being a reporter. You know, you start and you don't know hardly anything. And by the end, you learn all these amazing facts. And uh, this woman that she blew up the very train station that has been rebuilt <laughs> and that we come into. It was just one of the thrills of my life, you know, to discover that, you know. So that's what makes it fun. And that's what keeps us going. On full display in the person of C.G. Ware right now is the the benefit um, of of curiosity. I mean, it is something that not just keeps us alive, but but keeps the quality of life as we grow older. And C.G., I can't let you go without asking you just a little bit about right sizing. You mentioned you wrote two nonfiction books. Uh, right sizing your life uh, was written, I believe, in two thousand and seven. Uh, people right. still refer to it today. Uh, what is right sizing, and and is it still a, a philosophy, a technique, a strategy that you employ? It absolutely is. You know, when I we moved from Los Angeles, we had you know we had one of those big life changes that everybody has, where the dog dies, the kids are out of out of the house, one job ends. You've got to make these decisions. You make a big plan. So we made this plan to move back to Northern California, and we went from 4,000 square feet eventually to about 1,000. I live in a little cottage, as you can see, a little cluttered cottage. It needs more right. <laughs> but when we moved, we had to deal with so much stuff. 
and I did everything wrong. And as I realized, I, you know, we had seven couches and I, I mean, I gave stuff away. I mean, it was stupid. And I realized as a reporter, I said, there's got to be a better way than this. And, and uh, so I began to talk to people about how do you downsize with a difference? How do you downsize so you end up with what you use, what you love, what you need? And what do you do with the other stuff that you've been collecting your entire life? And so that's what the book was about, to end up with simplifying your life, but keeping what matters most to you and making it work in the stage you're in now. You know, what is the age and stage you're in right now that would make things easier? And the hard thing is that, you know, to get rid of stuff seems like a loss. And so a lot of people, I realized it was psychological with me why I had such a hard time. You know, what about my kid's baby rocking chair? You know, he's now 48. He doesn't need it. <laughs> but, you know, you, you work out different ways to, to give meaning to the things you want to keep. And by the way, that rocking chair ended up now is with my son and his two-year-old daughter. But, you know, every decision you make, do you love it? Do you use it? And there's a systematic way to make these decisions that don't rip your heart out. Now you know where Marie Kondo got it all. Um, yeah, she came after me. I want you to know she's the one who made a fortune. But I feel that I laid down, you know, I laid down. Amen. Yeah. I agree. Hey, for, uh, last question before I let you go, and I'm going to pretend I'm uh, your, your ABC or CBS producer right now and, and, and kind of give you a time here. Uh, give us a 30-second away uh, a lesson about life uh, is there a moral to your story in general that uh, you know that, that you've learned about successful aging that that we could all learn from as well well I think having lymphoma was a big lesson as anybody who's gone through a, a health challenge will tell you but I think I have an attitude that I got from my father which is that life is exciting you need to be grateful for the good things you've got and to stay curious and to stay interested and to be interested in what other people are doing and what other people are thinking and what's the new, new thing. And you either like it or you don't, but it's being in the now because now is all we got. It's the old bromide. It's today we've got, I got today. And every day I've, I felt that way before I went through lymphoma and I went through it, you know, uh, with so much help. And I was grateful for everything. My husband was unbelievably wonderful, as I knew he would be, but he was. So it's about generosity. It's also curiosity and gratitude. That's my thing. 29, 30. <laughs> you nailed it, CG. Hey, thanks so much. Folks, uh, you, you should follow her. You should pay attention to what she's doing because she's interesting and inspiring. Uh, and you can go to her website to, to find out more about her books, everything that she's got going on. It is cgware.com. And of course, we'll link to it from growingbolder.com as well. Uh, CG, thank you so much. Coming up, you know him as the weatherman from the Today Show on NBC. We'll spend a few minutes with the always inspiring Al Roker. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Our partners at Florida Blue Medicare. It's important to know what's covered, so together we've created a guide that makes Medicare easy to understand. More information at growingbolder.com slash guide. 
check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingbolder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. And well, it was less than a week after this interview that Al announced he'd been diagnosed with prostate cancer. He ended up having to take some time off from the Today Show to undergo surgery and treatment, but his doctors have recently reassured him that there is no longer any evidence of cancer, which is great news, and he will continue to be monitored for at least the next several years. From today on NBC, let's say hi to weatherman and co-host of the third hour of today, Al Roker. Al, how you doing? Doing great, Bill. How are you? Uh, you know what? I'm, I am excited about your book because it spoke to me in a way many don't, Al. You've, it's called Al Roker, You Look Much Better in Person, hilarious title, but the book shows how much of a role model that you really have become to us. Al, your story is like the secret of life, a reminder for us all that success and happiness, it comes from pursuit, from a work ethic, from always trying to say yes, even when there are a million reasons to say no. Well, you know, Bill, uh, uh, it, it was one of those things, and, and thank you for that. That's awfully nice of you. I, I don't know that I deserve all that, but um, uh, but I, I do believe that, you know, there's there's things to be learned from people who have been around for a while. You know, it's kind of like that farmer's insurance, you know, we, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. And uh, I, I, I've been around the block uh, many times. And, and sometimes I forget where the block is. But uh, I, I, I felt like writing this because I thought there was something to be learned uh, from somebody who's done a few things. And, and if nothing else, to try to do it in a light way, not to, to bang you over the head with it. And so, you know, even the title, You Look So Much Better in Person, came from my experience every day going out uh, at the plaza to shake folks' hands, take some pictures. We're obviously not doing that right now. But uh, invariably, somebody would always say every day, at least once a day, oh, my gosh, you look so much better in person. And, and I, I'm thinking, you know, I'm on TV, so that's not really a compliment. <laughs> but you don't want to embarrass anybody because they, you know they're not meaning it to be an insult. Uh, but it's not the... It's not the compliment I think they, they, they think it is. But I, I, my, I thought, you know, it's a, it's a fairly self-deprecating way of, of, of saying, you know what, just go with the flow. And, and so that's where we came up with you look so much better in person, true, sta- true stories of absurdity and success. So, Al, you know, uh, the way you approach people, you make such a great connection, maybe like very few people do. And the messaging therefore gets through in ways maybe we don't even realize it and one of the great things that you said in the book that i wanted to ask you about was the fact that you know everybody life coaches gurus everybody's telling you find your passion and just pursue that but you say i mean i'm going to ask you because i know the answer did you want to be a weatherman all your life gosh no <laughs> i mean i'm going to tell you bill i didn't i didn't even i didn't want to be on television uh, I wanted to work in TV. I, I mean, I had a department chairman, uh, the late Lou O'Donnell, Dr. Lou O'Donnell, who told me in my first television performance class, he goes, Roker, you've got the perfect face for radio. Uh, and, and he, but he was the one 
who put me up for my first job in TV at the end of my sophomore year. Uh, I, you know, but I, I was open to it. I thought, well, if, if Doc thinks I can do TV and be a TV weatherman, why not? Uh, and I talk about, you know, a lot of people have these plans, these five-year plans. I mean, come on. If, if somebody had told you back in, in February, beginning of February, oh, and by the way, we're going to have a global plan- pandemic. It's going to shut down our economy. Uh, we're going to be uh, uh, going through one of the, uh, the most consequential uh, presidential elections of our time. If, if somebody told you all that, and, and by the way, have a, a reckoning, about social injustice and racial equality, you would have called me nuts. But look at what's happened, and look at what's happened to all of our plans. So people have to be resilient. They have to be ready to roll with what happens and and have an idea of what you want to do, but be ready to, to zig and zag. We're talking with Al Roker, and that brings up a great point, Al, because there's another battle out there that maybe you're facing now, the least talked about, perhaps most damaging ism that's still out there, ageism. Have you felt ageism in your career? You know, I, to be honest, Bill, I, I don't think so. Um, uh, look, here's the deal. You, you, you always know, no matter what career you're in, there's always the, the new uh, hot flavor uh, that, that's happening. You know, the, but, but if you just keep your head down and do your job, and not try to go with trends, but just be true to yourself. And it's not, it's not always going to work, but I think a lot of times that is what gets you through and allows you to ride the wave and ride out those waves of, 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 of trends and hot things of the moment. Uh, you know, but yet stay current. Look, you know, when I first started doing TV weather, it was uh, drawing on a map or putting up magnetic symbols. Uh, I, I kept myself current with graphics and computer-generated graphics and things like that. But the basics of what I do and how I do my job are still the same. Computers and computer graphics have enhanced it. But what I do is still the same. I stay true to myself. And, and so... And you connect you know, with people. I think you Al. ride the wave instead of trying to buck it. Yeah, the but ma- you keep what you do and the essence of what you do the same. Yeah, the magic is Al and, that and, you connect and, and with I, people. You know, look, I'm I'm 66 years old, uh, and I always think about this. I don't know how, how old are you, Bill? 62. Okay, you're 62. So you remember Walter Cronkite, correct? Absolutely. Walter Cronkite was the voice of authority in America. On, on the, anchoring the CBS Evening News. And corporate policy back then, for not just CBS, but companies all across America, when you hit 65, you were done. Here's your check, here's your plaque, here's your, your, you know, your, 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 your severance check, and don't let the door hit you on the way out. Walter Cronkite was at the top of his game, and yet he had to leave. So 65, 66 today is different than it was for our parents. And, and I, look, I, I don't feel any less vibrant, a little more creaky perhaps, but I don't think I've, I've, I'm any less vibrant than I was 20, 30 years ago. In fact, in some ways, 
I think I feel, I, I'm, I'm doing better work today than I was 20, 30 years ago. And I think the secret, Al, is that you've learned that it's a people business. It's not a technology business or anything else. It's a people business. And you've been able to do yeah. that as well as, and, and it, it, it's not just television, everything you do in life. And folks, it, it's, it's, it's amazing to hear how it, you make it look so easy when you're out there doing what you do, but you care about people and that's what shows. There he is, folks. See what I mean about being a great example? You work hard, you deal with the fear, push yourself to where you want to go and make a difference for others along the way. That's the Al Roker formula. It's how other ordinary people can end up living extraordinary lives. And the book's called Al Roker, You Look Much Better in Person, and you can learn more about that and Al himself at alrokerentertainment.com. Check it out. When we come back, we'll catch up with the guy who wrote rock and roll hoochie coo, guitar legend Rick Derringer, right here on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingboulder.com. One of the greatest fears we have as we age is the fear of losing our independence, of needing someone there to take care of us to help us function around the house. But one of the best ways to keep that independence is to stay stable enough to take care of ourselves, to remove any doubt with any of your family members that you are very capable of handling your day-to-day life. One of the clearest indicators of this is balance, flexibility, and stability. Wendy Weiss is a specialist in Medicare case management. Here's what she believes we all need to watch out for to stay as independent for as long as possible. Once you're over the age of 65, I think the statistic is, you know, one in four is going to have a fall. That doesn't mean you're going to fall over and die, but it could be a serious issue depending on the mechanics of the fall. So, you know, some of the things that we need to do to look out for that is get your vision checked, get your hearing checked. People fall because they are vision impaired. They don't see well. Unfortunately, as we age, cataracts develop. It's just biological, and it's something that almost every senior has to deal with. So getting that vision check, getting a hearing check, and you might say, well, how does hearing affect falls? You'd be surprised, you know, when that volume is turned down and you don't have awareness of what's going on around you, you are more susceptible to trip and fall. And then there's common household, those throw rugs that are scattered around, you know, with the corner turned up. I know I've tripped over them. And pets. Here in Florida, everybody has a small dog. Um, I see them all over my community, and people fall getting tangled up in those leashes. You have to have an awareness about it. So, you know, I think this goes back to my comment about movement and being strong. If you are going to have a fall and you have that core strength and abilities, you might be able to stave off a fracture. You know, hopefully you don't have a fall. But just thinking about vision, thinking about your hearing, thinking about the obstacles in your home, thinking about strength, and also medications. Sometimes people fall because they're dizzy or off balance. If you have those feelings, it's 
just critical to call your doctor. A simple adjustment in a medication can make all the difference in the world. Medicare specialist Wendy Weiss. And she added something else, maybe the most important point of all, how long you can stay independent, how stable and secure you can be. Well, it begins with the choices you make in your life today. Once you start to lose your flexibility and your balance and stability, it's not easy to get it back. You want to start now to stay active, strong, and fit as possible so that whenever a challenge or obstacle does come your way, you give yourself your best chance to overcome it. More information at growingbolder.com slash Medicare. When you become a big-time worldwide rock star at the age of 17, what are you supposed to do when you're 70? Well, if there's something about music that keeps you alive and well, then we're about to meet a guitar legend who seems to have discovered exactly what that is. Every now and then I know it's kind of hard to tell, but I alive and well. Just like the song he wrote back in 1973, guitar great Rick Derringer is now in his 70s and still performing, still touring, and still sounding great. I'm still alive and well, still alive and well. Every now and then I know it's kind of hard to tell, I'm still alive and well. And a lot of people still know who he is. My wife calls it, you've been recognized recognized <laughs> and if they don't think i'm rick nowadays they go are you sir paul mccartney i get sir paul a lot and you go why yes i am <laughs> i tell them no but you know you just know you've seen me somewhere rick derringer has been around for a long time ever since he did this It was 1965. Hang on, Sloopy went straight to number one, and Rick was a rock star at the age of 17. Oh, let's work out now. So we figured, well, this business is a piece of cake. (laughs) Nothing to this. So in some ways, we had nowhere to go but down. But Derringer would climb the charts again, this time on his own, with a song that became one of the party anthems of the 70s. By this point, everybody began to notice, and before long, those sizzling licks and musical instincts made him one of the most sought-after musicians in the industry. All kinds of artists reached out for a bit of the Derringer mojo, and they got it, giving him a big hand in creating some classics. Total Eclipse of the Heart, that, that's a huge Body record. I, I love being part of that. I produced the demos that got Cindy Lauper her record deal, as a matter of fact. So I feel important there. I discovered Weird Al Yankovic, did the first album without a record company. Produced six albums after that, two Grammy Award-winning records. Barbra Streisand, the song Making Love Out of Nothing at All uh, by Air Supply. I love the solo I played on that. Many Steely Dan songs. 
I'm playing on lots of stuff, Kiss, all of a sudden, the audience goes, wow, I didn't know he had that many hits. Did you ever struggle with the, the traps that a lot of people that get famous do? Did you have addiction issues? Oh, Did you lose yourself? I went, uh, well, I feel you know, happy that I was able to get out of those things. But yeah, I went through it all. I was uh, in a world where we were given anything that people thought was cool or things that weren't. We didn't have to ask for it. The people just here give you, have, you know, some of this. I tried it all, but I escaped from it all. I'm here. I'm still alive and well. And so I, I feel like I've been saved for a purpose. The longer I go on, like I said, we're, we're all looking for our place in life. And I think I've been protected and I've been saved. And I was given that talent to use it for something. And uh, so I'm still pursuing that particular goal. Use that talent to reach people and let them know uh, what it feels like <laughs> to be good. Now, the sad part about it is, every time a songwriter writes a song, he thinks, this is, oh man, this song is fabulous. <laughs> and it's only until he unleashes it on the audience that he learns whether or not it really is fabulous. Because it's not about you, it's about, once again, transmission of this heart to them. So they'll tell you whether the song's great or not. Sloopy, I don't care what your daddy do. Cause you know, Sloopy girl, I'm in love with you. I'm not trying to go out there and uh, prove anything anymore, but I was. When I was young, I wanted to prove, man, am I hot or what? Uh, but after a while, you just go, well, I've done that. I proved that. So, what, what replaces that? <laughs> maintenance uh, is what comes next. But you do want to feel like, you know, I made a contribution. I did a lot. Ah, yeah, I know. I know that, though. I know that. I know that. And so do I your don't... peers. And that's right, too. Yeah, I've been very well accepted as a musician, and, and uh, people know that. In the end, I feel, I feel really good about that. I can go anywhere in the world and play a concert, and somebody's going to show up. And they're also going to know your songs. They're going to know the songs. So I, I've lived a really full life. I've uh, been very, very accepted musically all across the board uh, by people of all levels. I, it's, it's fabulous to be liked by the people you like. You can't get much better than that. I'm still alive and well. <laughs> a very interesting guy in a great interview, Bill. You know, like everybody else in the entertainment world during this pandemic, uh, Derringer found himself unable to tour he says he's used that time to think about what's next, which I think is something all of us should be doing if we're not. You know, one of the things that he says he's considering now is putting together an updated version of his best-loved band, The McCoys. Mm. Man, I can't wait for that. We'll have to see. Anyway, great to see that Rick Derringer is still alive and doing very well in his 70s. And you know what's interesting about a lot of these guys, Mark? When they were big... You couldn't get near them. You know, they had their people around them to protect them. They would go from venue to venue and then to hotel rooms in between. Mm. You'd never spend any time with them. Rick Derringer is so social. He loves the musicians who play from him. And you know what else he did during the pandemic downtime? He moved into a retirement community wow. in Florida because he loves being around people. They're the ones that keep him inspired and keep him writing. 
You know, I don't know if there's many of us, myself included, Bill, that could have survived worldwide acclaim as a rock star at the age of 17. That's uh, that's great fun while it happened, but an unbelievable challenge. And he's still alive and well. Coming up, a little something meant to help you bounce back from just about anything. This is Growing Boulder. You're listening to Growing Bolder, the program that can help you through whatever challenges and obstacles you face. And listen, the unexpected, we don't like to think about it, but it is going to happen to you, to you, to me, everybody. It's something that none of us have any control over. Yeah, the only thing that's certain is uncertainty, Bill. And uh, But what you can control is how you react to that, how you deal with it, and where you come out on the other side. That is all up to you. It's why longevity expert Dr. Roger Landry believes that how we handle the tough times is a pretty good indicator of how fulfilling our lives are going to be. Sure, things happen, but you bounce back. And this is resilience. You bounce back because you have a reason to bounce back. You bounce back because you're strong. You're intellectually curious. You are socially connected. You have meaning and purpose. You want to bounce back. You bounce back. You keep going. Maybe at, maybe at a little lower level than where you were. You got, you got something you have to deal with. But that you are highly functioning. And you keep doing that. And since we can only live so long, there's a, there's a cliff waiting for us somewhere. No one's getting out alive. But... Let's do it at going at our best, you know, spitting, spitting into, the, into the face of the Grim Reefer. <laughs> that is longevity expert and growing Boulder contributor, Dr. Roger Landry. He's a featured presenter at our launch pad to What's Next, which you can see at growingbolder.com. He's essentially saying something that we've understood for a long time, attitude makes a huge difference. Your outlook is what pulls you through life's challenges. And, you know, you don't really understand how that works until you kind of see it in action because it doesn't mean that you can't be upset when things go wrong we all go through those times when when we feel lost or beaten down or literally frightened for our lives losing so many people and things around us but no matter what we all only get a certain number of days on this earth and not a minute more bounce back and make as many of those days as possible joyful and grateful all right, I guess this is a great time to turn the spotlight on you, and I'm going to do that by asking you, Mark, what's on your mind, buddy? Well, Bill, I'll, I'll admit I had something else that was on my mind until you said earlier that you are downsizing yeah. for the first time. So let's follow up on that a little bit. You know, I had that great interview with C.G. Ware where we yeah. talked about, you know, many things. And, and the fact that there are now roughly 300,000 items in the average American home, and, and this is one that I think we can all relate to, uh, more than 25% of people whose homes have two-car garages don't have room to park even one car. You, you don't park a single no, car? No, cannot do it. At some point, and I think this is what we all realize as we get older, we no longer own stuff. Stuff starts to own us. Ooh. And, you know, downsizing is something that, you know, uh, Jill and I downsized our Christmas tree and literally this year. We've had a 14-foot Christmas tree in our living room for probably 10 years and no, longer than that, 18 years, and the lights no longer work on it, so we've got to put it together, we've got to put the lights on, we've got to take it down, we've got to put it in a box. It is a two-day process, so uh, we put it to the curb this uh, this year, and we're going to get a smaller, easier 
pre-lit tree uh, for next year. At first, you kind of think more is better, right? Because why should I throw that perfectly good shirt away even though I haven't worn it in two years? Who knows? Maybe we'll do a, a growing boulder story in a creek or something, and I'll be glad I had it and don't have to worry about it. But I keep going back to the real originator of downsizing, and I think it's George Carlin from his famous comedy routine talking about how people go out. Why do you get a house? Because you've got to have a place to put your stuff. <laughs> then you get too much stuff. What do you do? you get got a bigger house. And it is interesting how when you get to be at our life stage that that stuff does start to suffocate you. Yeah, I took this, uh, I, I don't know what it's called, downsizing challenge a couple of years ago, and I loved it. And the whole deal is on day one, you throw one thing out. can't be a paper clip or a penny, something that you, you have been storing. Day two, two things. Day three, three things. Day four, four things. All the way up to day 30, where you throw out 30 things. And the day before that, you throw out 29 things. And the day before that, it gets to be very difficult. But oh my gosh, uh, I wanted to go on to day 31 and 32 because it is uh, liberating. It's invigorating. How do you do it, though? Everybody's got this drawer at home, and so do I. When you go in, I've got like ticket stubs from games from 30 years ago or whatever it is in there. And I'll look at it and say, who needs it? But then I'll think, well, I've had it for 30 years. What's the harm in hanging on to it a little longer? But that's the wrong way to look at it. Well, I'll tell you this. You won't need it or you won't want it until you do throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then a week later, uh, final question or final thought right now. You know, uh, you and I have been asked many times over the years, uh, should I become a news anchor? Uh, we've been asked many times, should I start a business? And my answer from the beginning when people say, should I become a news anchor is no. And should I start a business? The answer is no. And, and I say that because it is not easy. And people... Uh, the people who succeed are the ones who do not listen to all of the naysayers as you go through it. So um, you you have to have persistence if you want to succeed. So uh, don't do something unless you are committed to following through. And if you are, then you've got a very good chance of success. Two reasons someone would ask that question. One, because they have doubts. Mm. And that's the person that probably shouldn't do it. But two, if you're looking for information or insight or wisdom, Mark Middleton is exactly the person to ask. Well, you're kind to say that. Uh, Growing Boulder is a community of people to ask. And, uh, you know, we're grateful for the opportunity to share what we've learned and, more importantly, what people like you have learned every single day. Uh, Follow us 24-7 on growingboulder.com. We're also on Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And we'll see you back here next time. The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder, LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, flowing high and mighty trap. Countless fire and flaming road using eyes.